comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. Hey everybody and welcome to a very zen episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm the bucolic Jordan from Jersey and I'm joined this week by the tranquil Aaron Newirth, the ever calm Craig Diamanda, and later on the soothing Jim Dietz. How are you guys all doing today? It's very nice to be here and I'm very happy to be sitting right by the fire ready for a nice discussion. I'm very relaxed right now. So continue, leader. Okay, I, I can't really keep it up. I, I could keep it going as long as it was just me. The moment somebody else does it, then I just, I'm just i going to start cracking up. So uh, so what did you guys think of this week's episode, Here's Not Here, just generally speaking, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty? Whatever the writers are doing when it comes to Morgan scenes, they're killing it because it, they, this is just another fantastic episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah, it was really, really, really good. I mean, the writing was just spot on. Scott Gimple wrote this whole episode. You can see the threads he wove in last season now paying off a season and a half later. That's hard to do for any television show, let alone one ruled by zombies and and walkers and all the other action that happens on the show. So kudos to the writing. Scott Gimple did a great job. I guess clear part two is what this would be, or the sequel. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I was actually surprised how, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves here, but when looking through the Busters thread, this was a much more divisive episode than yeah. I, I would have guessed. And I can understand <laughs> why, to an extent, in terms of the, we want to know if Glenn is really dead or not. But at the same time, I was surprised by how many people seem to dislike this episode on its merits. Because I'm right there with you guys. I Re- I, you know, I had some issues with the episode. It wasn't perfect, but I really, really enjoyed this one. And quite frankly, I'm going to be really sad when this hot streak The Walking Dead is on just ends because all good things must end eventually. And it's been on a really hot streak for these four episodes. I would go as far as to saying I do think The Walking Dead has, has a tendency to do really well in the beginning of its seasons. That is true. And, and some of it's in the later halves, you know, after the midseason break tends to be a little more wobbly. Where, it, it, but they generally end strong. I've I've kind of noticed that as I remember, like the season that began when they went to the prison, the that that season three, right? Um, yes. I remember that those first right. those first few episodes were like some of the best they had ever done, and and then it kind of as the governor stuff kind of became more and more involved, it was kind of less and less enthused by what was happening. But but I mean, yeah, I I could, I, I I would hope that the streak doesn't end. I I just like to think that they can just keep doing everything well in the way they're doing it so far, but. 
for, for what it is right now, this is just a great episode. I just know that eventually they're going to get to an episode that it's fine. You know, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's fine. But so far, these four, I've been really, really thrilled with them. So uh, remember, remember, yeah. you know, back in season three, when we, when you know, you and I said they should really make a, a sequel to Clear at some point, maybe like in season six. What, do we have that on the tape? Do we have, <laughs> hold on, let's go to rewind the t- <laughs> Remember, in, man, this episode is great. I hope they do a sequel to this in like three years from now. See, that was a great clip from that episode that we had i mean that was <laughs> you, you see guys if we're pulling tape though and, and your tape got a little bit lost on this episode but a lot of you were saying that that wolf got killed oh no craig oh no he's killed he's got to be killed you're wrong don't even ask the question <laughs> and here we go again so i'm you... pretty sure i was on your side in that argument craig but i'm scared to go back to the tape and double check i, I, I did listen to it you were you were you were too busy handling aaron's lost audio <laughs> to kind of <laughs> to, oh was it that in. episode oh gosh i forgot it was that, that one oh, right Lord. Don't no, I, it's okay. Completely. I, I, I completely admit that I was wrong. I, that that that, the, that we'll get to that, I guess, in the episode. But yes, that the there, I would say, given this, if this, if I knew what was going on in this episode, not beyond the bookends, but just the the meat of this episode, I would not have thought the same thing. I would have thought that yeah, that code really kind of is holding him strong, and so he probably wouldn't have killed that wolf. But here's the th- here's yeah. the thing, though, Aaron. Even with the code, and even with all that. There was a there was a piece in my brain that even with like the opening bookend of this episode where it's clear who he's talking to and I say that kind of vaguely on purpose there was a piece of my brain kind of perversely and macabrely hoping that the end of the episode would go back to that bookmark and the camera would pull back and swing around to reveal that he had been talking to the corpse of that wolf the entire episode and it was like his long-winded apology for killing him like, I don't know that I think that would have been better or worse in retrospect, but a small part of my brain thought that was what was going to happen at, at some point. Well, why don't we uh, get to the episode and we'll talk all about it. <laughs> why don't we? So th- uh, this week's episode of The Walking Dead was Here's Not Here. That's season six, episode four. It was written by Scott M. Gimple, showrunner of the show, and directed by a newcomer to The Walking Dead, Stephen Williams. Uh, originally aired on November 1st, 2015, and had a running time of 64 minutes. It was the first uh, 90-minute episode non-season premiere or season finale so that was pretty cool. And we had uh, two guest actors in addition to Morgan, of course, Lenny James as Morgan. We had Benedict Samuel, who is apparently being credited as Alpha Wolf, although I would not have really guessed that he was in charge necessarily. But anyway, that's that's him. He, he has the longest hair. It makes sense. <laughs> that's true. Yes. And uh, the ever wonderful John Carroll Lynch as Eastman, not playing a serial killer uh, for the first time recently in something I've seen him in. <laughs> he's, he's always amazing, but he tends to get stuck in serial killer roles. You know, you say that, but like the two things I remember him for is one, a serial killer role, which is Zodiac, and the well, other, well, well a presu- maybe serial killer may, quotation marks Zodiac, and honestly Fargo as Francis McDormand's husband, who he's like the nicest guy in the world. He's like the nicest That's guy true. in the world. So I, I, I couldn't place it. I, like I've seen this guy, I've seen him in a million things, but I, I, it was Fargo. That was exactly where I remember him from. Yeah, being that <laughs> playing that role. It's so he's funny. just he does like watercolor paintings and tries to like get nightcrawlers for his for his, to go fishing with. Like he's just like the nicest guy in the world now. Movie. And he played Twisty the Clown in last year's season of American Horror Story. And he also played, I, I read something about, I'm, I'm behind on American Horror Story. I always watch it on Netflix, but he played a real world serial killer on this year's season, from what I understand. Also, though, the first thing I ever saw him in that I can remember was uh, this f- little movie that nobody's ever seen called Bug that starred Jamie Bug. Kennedy. You know which one I'm talking about then? 
Wait, which book? With Jamie Kennedy? Yeah, there's several movies called Bug. That's why I was... Okay. This one has Jamie uh, Kennedy in it, yes. You have mentioned this before. Okay, I know what you And it's about. just yeah. this kind of strange, wonderful little indie comedy that, oddly enough... It, my memory of it, because it's been a few years since I've watched it, uh, John Carroll Lynch's character in that movie actually has some similarities in the uh, in the you know pathos of his character of Eastman in this episode. You know, not not with the murdering somebody through starvation angle, spoilers, Jerry, but you know through just the the aftermath of it. It's it's funny um, also about John Carroll Lynch. I I generally confuse him with another actor named Pruitt Taylor Vince. Yes, um, and he put and he was Otis on Walking on all on Walking Dead in season exactly. two, and okay. so I and so I was like I was, I was going through a trip because I was trying not to look at my phone to like while watching the show, but I was like who what is his name? I'm trying this is like killing me right now because like I know both these actors and they've both been on Walking Dead and now I'm getting lost. But yeah, and, and for any of the listeners going, we don't care about these indie movies you guys are talking about. He was also Drew Carey's brother in the Drew Carey show, so you know there you go. There you go. I mean, besides being uh, having a filmography like that. Oh, he's been in everything. <laughs> he, he's been in everything. He is an excellent actor, as, yes. as we saw in this episode. He just—it's not just a resume. He's got a—he's uh, got some serious acting chops, keeping up with Lenny James right there. Yeah, this this two-man show is fantastic. <laughs> and and honestly, for a large portion of the episode, he really does the lion's share of the work. I mean, not not to say that Lenny James isn't doing something, but in terms of the dialogue, he is doing the lion's share when Lenny James is more or less feral for about half of the episode. Yeah. All reasons why we should love this episode and not have to, <laughs> have to part pick on it, but whatever. <laughs> so after last week's episode, or two weeks ago, I guess technically, because we're kind of going back and forth every other episode, uh, we had that wolf who Morgan may have killed or may have not have killed. Well, spoilers, he didn't actually kill him. And our bookend for this episode starts uh, in uh, that kind of apartment that, Morgan had been staying in. I guess now he's living with Rick, but he had been staying at that other apartment uh, with kind of the, the cage door uh, to the front of it. And so he's got the, the wolf there, and he basically tells him the story of how he became Jedi Morgan. To be fair, we don't know it's the wolf he's talking to. We just, like, it, it... You immediately know exactly who he's talking to. Don't even give me that. They don't tell you for sure. But who I, else I could it have possibly I wasn't, been? I wasn't completely certain on who it was talking to. I, really? I, I mean, if you look at what he said, he was saying, we were sitting around the campfire, you said it was like this. I mean, they referred to that scene in, in, in last uh, season's closer. It was Yeah, you liked, You said you liked to collect stories and talk yes. to people. And he, he quotes the guy back at him. But I, yeah. yeah, I get it, yes. But, th- I mean, the, the show, it does do some trickery to not completely reveal who he's talking to. Well, that's why I said, like, if they had revealed that it was the corpse of that guy, I would have been like, whoa, that's crazy dark. But, anyway. So we get flashbacks then for the next 90 minutes, uh, more or less, uh, showing Morgan's life sometime after Clear, uh, way back in season three. So he's still insane. He's probably even worse off than he had been in Clear, although it's been a while since I rewatched Clear. But he, he's so bad that as he's yelling at himself and kind of bumbling around the, the apartment there, uh, he knocks over a lamp and burns the house down, and then he has to camp out in the forest. So yeah. not a good time to be Morgan. I just didn't understand who he was yelling at, and I wrote down some of the things he was saying here. He, he said, you don't clear. It doesn't matter how many days or how much time. We weren't supposed to be there. You had the gun. You had the knife. Don't lie. You were supposed to. You know you were supposed to. These are some of his ramblings that he was saying. Is he talking to Rick? Like, Rick just left at this point, or he had left him there? 
in the building. Is that who he was talking to? Was he talking to himself? I think he was talking to himself. Or like okay. A, a I would probably go of, with himself as well. A yeah. version of himself that was maybe responsible for you know his wife and son dying, something along those lines, I'd imagine. And if we could do a little timeline check here, I mean, too, Clear was in season three, yes. right? The, the prison fell about eight months to a year, I would say, after Clear. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? That's probably fair. Because it there was that break right, between season three and four where Rick became a farmer and the farm grew and the animals came. So it had to be at least six months there. So we don't know how long he was in the clear town before he torched it, I suppose. Oh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know, after Rick and Michonne left, how long was he still there? Like, we, we don't really know. But my point is this. At least he had eight weeks with Eastman or so. It feels like at least a couple of months he spent there. Yeah. If, if, we, if we do the math here. And then he catches up to the Terminus trail and you know all that kind of stuff. And yeah. keep keep in mind, the whole time he was on the Terminus Trail, he was on foot when pretty much everybody else was on foot or in cars, kind of alternatively. So, right, you know, he, he was he behind had a lot them. of time. Yes, he, he was behind them, and he had a lot of time to follow them. So, oh, they, I see. They so some, some time could have been lost on the train time. tracks. Okay, exactly. Yeah. If you're okay. a podcast fan that loves this show and the timeline that we're working with, feel free to send us in your crazy charts that detail every single aspect of what people are doing in this series. Please make sure you use red yarn because it shows up better in the pictures. <laughs> I just respect continuity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like when the show takes – when they're doing flashbacks like this, and or I should say time jumps is really what it would be, more of a time jump or a flash forward, flashback. I, I like that they're, they're, they're making it so it's all continuous and there's continuity. I, I respect that. So no, good job sure. to the show. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, they also don't have to be particularly specific in this particular story. If they um, wanted to be, they would there's say only something. two points. You know? They would say something besides then and now if they wanted to be super specific on time. Yes, <laughs> that's true. But but at the same time, it doesn't contradict anything, which is nice. At least not, nothing that I noticed. They did that same touch with the Terminus episode, right? The season yeah. opener from last season? Yeah. Then and now, yeah. Then which I, which I kind of like, because I like that there's a... Not necessarily timeless, but there is a a unique quality to the Earth, you know, or to the the world ending essentially with the zombie apocalypse. And there's not really a specific time frame in mind. You just kind of assume that it happened around when the show started, but you don't really have to worry about the years or what month it is or what anything like that. It's just like that that was then. This is now. That's a good point. So if if the world was still civilized, it would say three months ago. Dot dot dot. Yeah. (laughs) Three months ago on a Tuesday. Was there a was there a an establishment of like when when Rick woke up in the first episode? Did it say like three months later to just cut to it? Right, it just yeah. cut to it. I think they've said since then. I don't know if it was necessarily in the show, but he was in a coma for about two months. I, I believe is what they've said. But yeah, yeah, right. We found that out because of Fear of the Walking Dead. That the producers were saying, well, Rick's been in this coma for about they say four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks. So that that's when Fear of the Walking Dead is taking place in that small time span. Hey, speaking of Fear of the Walking Dead, do you think it's time to do a new episode of our Fear of the Walking Dead Flight 462 podcast? Well, we, we can get to that if you like. Are but you yes, still I, digging I, on the love connection between Asian lady and young kid? All I have to say is it's the reflux. That's it. <laughs> it's the reflux? Okay. Well, I think that's been another episode of the Walk, Fear of the Walking Dead Flight 462 podcast. Let's get back to the regular show. <laughs> Uh, So Morgan, after he burns down the apartment from Clear, he decides to camp out in the forest, and he becomes obsessed with killing any walkers and any living people he encounters, including a father and son, possibly, uh, duo that have been following him while further exploring the forest. Um, So Morgan, after he does that, he's been, like, burning bodies. He's got just piles of them. um, And he is, like I said earlier, more or less feral at this point. He finds this remote cabin. And there's a live goat there named Tabitha, we find out eventually. Um, Tabitha's really the main character of this episode, so, you know, pay attention to her. She's probably the secret hero of this whole series. (laughs) Uh, Morgan tries to... 
well, first she just approaches the goat. Then hears a voice saying, hey, please don't kill my goat. It's not yours. Leave it alone. Um, Morgan tries to attack the guy, who you later will find out is named Eastman. Uh, but Eastman is a, a ninja with a bow staff, and he knocks Morgan unconscious. And Morgan wakes up inside a, a cell inside the cabin. Now, he did offer him some falafel as well. Let's get that straight. Yes. Okay, so. <laughs> I, just, I, be- I believe that is true, yes. But before we get to that point, he did set up Camp Clear, I'm going to call it. So he, the Clear Town is gone, and he yeah. now moved to the woods and set up Camp Clear mm-hmm. with all the comforts of home. He has his spikes, his, his spears set up around the perimeter. What do they He's call got a... those? I know there's a name for them. I mean... Besides spikes? Spears? I don't, I, no, I don't no, know. from like Vietnam. Didn't they have a specific name when they well, were used were, in Vietnam? There were, there were punji pits, but that's where you dug a hole and you put spikes in it. Oh, oh okay. okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and he even you know brought some of his scribblings with him and put it on rocks. I mean, he really made all the comforts of home in that little campground. Like, that was really nice. Yeah, like if, <laughs> if Tabitha has her area, Morgan's certainly had his area. And everyone, you know, this, this whole episode's really about areas that people have. I mean, Eastman had his cell. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on here. <laughs> I gotta say, though, for a feral crazy man living in the woods, Morgan's design for protecting his little wide-open clearing was very smart and seemed to be very effective. Well, he's yeah, not an idiot. Like, he's, he's regardless of his mental state, he's still a smart person. Yeah, I'm making light of it, but that's really what it is. I mean, it's he's <laughs> he's setting up a, a, a safe zone for him, and he can clear as he's sleeping, basically. They just kind of they, they, they line up on the spikes and kill themselves, and then he just goes and cleans them up the next day. Also, before he gets to the house, he killed those two hikers, the father and son or yeah, whatever he, they were. Yeah, Jordan mentioned that. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Cut pretty. It, it, it was pretty sad and intense. Um, <laughs> like the what? Like the son? It was the son, I think. Right? He got it through the neck. It was like, oh my god! Like, uh, no, it was the dad through the neck, the and then dad, the son was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't kill me. And then Morgan kills him. Yeah, that yeah, was strangles him. It was crazy. And then doesn't he also? Um, is that later when he encounters the other people? Is that later on? The other two? Yeah, that's like almost at the end. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Oh yeah, that is. That's right. I know what that is. Okay. Yes. Um, but there are there there are some cool like night shots of him burning bodies and whatnot. Like they made they made sure to use that. With, with Didn't the it, CG so. progress a lot from the barn burning in season two? Like it got a lot better. I know there was a real fire, so it must have not been that much CG. But like when that Walker came through the fire, it looked very good. It like did. those embers coming yeah. off of him, it looked really real. Com- compared to some of the more wobbly CGI that I've seen on this show, uh, <laughs> that was a pretty good one. And there's been some great use of CGI on this show. I mean, like, remember the uh, the other fire walkers, actually, the ones where they're already, like, ashen and burned and everything. Like, they're, and, um, the one where uh, Carol caps those two kids. <laughs> caps the look, kid. look at the flowers, Lizzie. Look at the flowers. <laughs> Who needs episode titles? We can just call it Carol Caps the Kid. That, the Grove. I think <laughs> the it was grove. called The Grove. Yeah, yeah the Grove. Yeah. That, that one had, like, the smoking zombie corpses in there. That was a good, that was a good effect. But, yeah, a lot of good Walking Dead episodes take, places, take place in cabins in the woods, huh? Yeah. That's because The Walking Dead's indebted to Evil Dead. That's, you know, that's what I've learned. <laughs> so Morgan wakes up in that cell inside the cabin, and he begs Eastman to kill him and end his suffering, and Eastman refuses. And, you know, this goes on a few times. Eventually, Eastman tells him, you have a choice. You can either stay in the cabin with me, or you can leave peaceably. But don't attack me, because I will knock you out again. And I can do it, and I've done it before, and I will do it again. Uh, Morgan remains adamant, though, about either being killed or killing Eastman and saying that clearing areas of both walkers and the living is now his only purpose in life, which Eastman tells him is one of the dumbest things he's ever heard. More or less. I, I paraphrase. You're bit, yeah. There's some paraphrase because there's two great lines that come first is when he says, kill. He's like, what's your name? Kill me. Well, that's kill a me. stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other, which is just more badass or anything. Like when he says, you have, you have two choices. Then he's his, his last line in that sentence is, I will not allow you to kill me. Like there's just, 
kind yeah. of, there's a weight he puts behind that sentence that just is really effective. Yeah. And, and, and you know, while he's muttering, there's some time passes in all that, but he, he's saying some things again, and maybe you guys can help me out with this. He keeps saying 16 hours and 19 on the floor. This is Morgan I'm talking about when he's in his, his fugue state. 16 hours, 19 on the floor. What does that mean? It's yours, take it. Like, I don't know what that's referring to. It's just crazy ramblings. Is that what it's supposed to be, or is it? I was, and I watched it twice, dude. I was trying to figure out what exactly he was going for, but I really couldn't figure it out, honestly. Yeah, I have no idea either. I just, I kind of chalk it up to crazy ramblings, but at the same time, there's got to be some meaning behind it. So, you know, when we, uh, when we get Lenny James on this podcast, which I assume is happening any day now, we'll uh, be sure to ask him that question. I mean, when you, when you uh, know things like that, uh, I'm going to start that sentence over. I mean, when, when you think about the fact that even like the Save the Terrapins or Save Terrapins t-shirt had a backstory, which Scott Campbell told on Talking Dead. I'm sure a line like 16 Hours, 19 on the Floor, that has a backstory as well. But right. just like the, the t-shirt, you wouldn't know that backstory unless you were told. It's just, well, it adds flavor, it adds character, it adds okay. ambiance, well, you know, that well, kind of well, thing. What was the backstory? I didn't watch Talking Dead, what was the backstory? The backstory <laughs> was God, basically Here we go. that it was it? supposed to be a bar that Eastman was a, uh, a patron of that when it was going bankrupt and they had this fundraiser to try to save the bar and the bar was called Terrapins and that's why he had that shirt like the, the shirt was just an old t-shirt that he had from you know 10 15 years ago this and is beyond this is of course beyond all the various obvious nods to Ninja Turtles because Kevin Eastman right. is the yes. originator of the comic he has a bow staff he has a turtles t-shirt on his and I there's know, pictures I, of turtles too on the wall. I don't know if you saw that. There was yeah. actually yep. photographs. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. like I know someone on the Facebook page wrote about the kind of connections to TMNT, and I'm like, yeah, the episode's like screaming it at you. It's like we love turn Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Apparently, there's all those Daredevil references, um, and also the guy who played Donatello in the '90s movies was uh, he trained was the bow staff instructor. The, yeah, Michael Ho or something. Yeah. John Ho, I think his name was, or something like that. He, yeah, he's the trainer of the bow staff uh, for for Morgan and for. Uh, and for Eastman. So that's been your TMNT corner for the episode. Yeah. So during his confinement, Morgan observes Eastman living a peaceful life, taking care of Tabitha and trying to make goat cheese. Eventually, Eastman tells Morgan that the cell has been unlocked the entire time, and Morgan was free to leave anytime he wished. So Morgan comes out of the cell and again tries to kill Eastman, but is again subdued and returned to the cell. The next day, Morgan leaves the cell to rescue Tabitha from a walker attack outside. Eastman thanks Morgan, and they work together to repair the damage the walkers caused. So we, we just covered a lot of stuff there. Um, before Morgan even gets told that the cell is open, he's, like, using uh, a broken-off zipper to, like, you know, tear through the wall to try and break out. Like, it's interesting that someone who would put that much work thought into it wouldn't even check the door. See, I thought the same thing, but I think because of his mental state, he's just not hes not firing on all cylinders like Rick's gang was when they were locked in the train car, making weapons in there, in Terminus. He's just hes just not all there. He's, his mental state is, is handicapping him in that I regard, mean, I think. I, when it comes to, I, if it was like a room that has like a knob on it, that's maybe like an, a, a first check you'd make. But if you're in a prison cell, like you woke up in a prison cell, I wouldn't necessarily think to check the door. I just kind of assume that a prison cell is a locked prison cell. <laughs> But you know, if Rick was in there, he'd be shaking the bars. I mean, <laughs> Nick, yeah, he'd yeah, be checking everything. Rick's a, di- Rick's a different beast. Uh, it's also worth mentioning the distorted camera uh, lens view, if you want to call that, when, when he I goes call into it, these mental states. Uh, Morgan vision is what I call Morgan it. Morgan vision. Or tunnel okay. vision, sure, yeah. Same, same basic idea. I like what they did with it, and they didn't overuse it. Like, they used it just at certain points throughout the show, and it worked very, very well. They didn't overkill it with that with that, that camera view. It was like three or four times, and I think most of them are only like two or three seconds long. And the best ones where he starts running at Eastman right before the commercial break, like it just he, he comes out of the cell, 
looks normal, and then all of a sudden, boom, he goes into distorted view, and then or Morgan Vision, and then he's running right towards uh, Eastman, and they cut the commercial real quick. I, I thought that one was kind of cheesy, actually. He's like, ah! He, like, jumps at you. <laughs> Did you? Okay. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's fine. Like, it, it didn't rub me the wrong way. It's just more like, ah, oh, you he tried to get you. <laughs> it's yeah. also a little weird, and I, I don't mind effects like that. You know, they even used it with Nicholas last week a, a few times. It was a different effect, but a similar right. idea. Usually in media when something like that is used to indicate tunnel vision or, you know, kind of a bloodless mode or something like that. Yeah. Usually it's used for POV shots from the character who is experiencing it. Not always, but usually. I don't think any of the ones we saw in this week's episode were. They were all shots of Morgan when it happened. Well, I yeah, think. I mean, yes, I, I, I know what you're saying. I don't necessarily know it as just a POV type thing. Mm. I, I see it constantly used as a... A, a way framed around a character to show what their mental state is, regardless of seeing through their eyes, type thing. But I, yeah, I get what you're, like, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. Like maybe on a video game, like when you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you drink too much or you, you know, you get too much adrenaline pills. That's what that's the view you get, right? When you're looking ahead, so yeah, yeah that's like, your POV look. Or even like like basic flashbacks that are shot in sepia, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then, what what are Goo Goo Clusters, by the way? I, I noted that, too. What They're are delicious, they... apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, what's the equivalent? Like, we knew what Michonne's was. What, what, what was she eating last season? I forget what that was. But what are Goo Goo Clusters supposed to be? Well, I, don't, I have no like idea. It seemed like chocolate-coated uh, coconut, maybe? Yeah. Or maybe, with maybe nuts? Almost like a, like a chocolate turtle mixed with a, a, an almond joy or something? We'll have to ask Jim when he... When he comes on board tonight he, he, he will know he will know this he'll just give us some goat recipes don't worry about jim right now. <laughs> goat cheese <laughs> goat or goat cheese either way both i mean goat is delicious but uh, that's beside the point uh, we we uh, by the way we should mention the fact that you know beyond him not checking the doorknob him trying to find a way out i do like that that's like a neat misdirect like you you know you're thinking okay now he's gonna try and break out and something's gonna happen but it doesn't even pay off because the door's unlocked the whole time so we just we skip we skip past the cliche of him breaking out and doing something and just get right to the point Yes, exactly. And to go back a second to the Goo Goo Clusters, you want to know the real reason that's in the episode? Yes, the episode it, was brought to you by there. Goo Goo Clusters. <laughs> it's in there for the same reason the bullet is in there later on in the episode with the uh, the can and the two people in the in the episode. And granted, this is all supposition on my part, but it's all there because when Morgan was in the church last season and he pulled like three or four things out of his pocket, um, among them were the the Google a thing of Google clusters, that specific bullet, and a rabbit's foot. Oh. And they probably just chose a bunch of random things, and then when this episode came around, they had to give a couple of them at least backstories. And so that's why, oh, there's just this nod to Google clusters, and oh, for some reason they take a bullet out of their bag. I, I could almost, I would almost put money on it. That that's it was a, just, a, that's continuity a with a capital C. Yeah. Love it. Except it was more just, uh, I guess we have to include these somehow. How can we possibly put them in? I didn't think they were poorly done, but it was a little obvious to me. I don't know. Again, I really like this episode, but that was just something I noticed. Fair enough. <laughs> so after Morgan kills those walkers that were attacking uh, Tabitha, uh, Eastman tells him to go bury them. and Or I guess Eastman buries them. And later on, we see there's this... Uh, basically a graveyard of all the walkers that Eastman has had to kill um, or not really kill. I mean, I guess he would even say he's not really technically killing them, but put out of their misery um, since he has been there. And it's just how, how many gravestones or, or crosses would you say were there? Like 40, 50? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Several tens of them. But he, but he has taken the time to individually bury and mark the graves of every single walker that he has put out of its misery yeah. since he's been there. Actually, it was Morgan that killed the two and then actually started dragging them towards the graveyard. 
It wasn't uh, Eastman was already off on a mission or off somewhere out. But didn't he only stuff. know where it was because Eastman had dragged off a walker earlier to in that, that direction? Yeah, I think he just direction. followed the, the path or yeah, followed the yeah, grass. We, we, we hadn't seen it until until Morgan went there himself. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and, and there was also that distorted camera or, or Morgan vision, if you will, when he saw the wedding ring on the necklace of that second walker. The first walker, he did like a WWF body slam and just put him through the, the three-legged stool. That was awesome. The second one, he had a necklace, and then there was a wedding ring on the necklace, and it made him go into that that tunnel vision mode again. He almost lost it for a minute, but it brought him back, and he killed him. So later on, we get to learn kind of Eastman's backstory, and, and he tells his personal life to Morgan. He, he used to be a, a forensic psychiatrist uh, who specialized in determining whether inmates were eligible for parole. And as a result of working in close proximity with the worst of humanity, uh, Eastman had suffered so much emotional distress that he decided he was going to start practicing Aikido to try to work through some of that. And in keeping with Aikido's teaching, Eastman took a vow to never take another life, thus explaining to Morgan why he did not kill Morgan in the first place um, and, and in an effort to rehabilitate Morgan. And this takes, you know, s- some time. What we see this is taking place over the course of weeks, like we said earlier. Uh, Eastman offers to teach him Aikido, which he eventually accepts, and it helps give Morgan a sense of peace over time. Just want to note here, too, that Bear McCreary's just killing it this week again with the soundtrack, with, yep. the, with the score. Mm-hmm. The, the the intensity, but it also then he dials it back and brings out Morgan's theme, that little piano yeah. uh, riff, if you will, once in a while. And just these are callbacks to season one. I mean, yeah. that's that's such great. I mean, I, I love that stuff when TV shows can have that level of just tying it all together and just a couple of piano notes makes you remember an episode from five years ago. I love it. Yeah, it's there's a. You can't imagine that they've had, like, all of this planned out with Morgan. I can understand maybe they're like, oh, we always have this character in our back pocket to use. But, like, just the whatever work they've, like, thought of in the, you know, the the lead up to how involved we're going to get Lenny, Lenny James back into the game here. It's been terrifically handled in terms of connecting it to the series as a whole. Even if we're not, you know, we're not having any other characters from this series in this episode. We're still, like, doing everything that tied into the Walking Dead universe. And it comes together just so well. And it's worth noting, and we stay away from comic book spoilers here, especially in the main section, but while Morgan is a character from the comic and the, the pilot episode of the show is more or less, you know, pretty similar to what he did there, at least to my memory of it. Yeah. All the stuff with Clear and this episode is all like brand new stuff. Like it's it's all I mean, there might have been some references or some similarities to things that happened in the comic, but for the most part, him going crazy and then coming back as Zen Master Jedi is all brand new and has been handled pretty it's well, a, I think. It's very much like the old thing that I used to say when Shane was still around. It's the Back to the Future Two thing where it's as if the almanac was taken and this is the alternate version of the comic book where it's a <laughs> it's a slightly ch- it's a slight change that's made all the difference as far as uh, how we are seeing Morgan now compared to what goes on with him in the comics. Because I do think there's a way we could have seen him, which is somewhat <laughs> shown in this first part of the episode, um, that's more of in, more, in t- more in line with what the comics portrayed him as. But now it's changed around because he's randomly met Eastman in the woods. <laughs> so we're now joined by Jim Dietz. How you doing, Jim? Hello, everyone. Hey, Jim. Glad I can make it. And before we get back to the episode uh, minutia discussion, what did you think, just in general, of this week's episode? I enjoyed it. I'm a huge fan of uh, of, of the, both you know, Lenny James as an actor and Morgan as a character. This was kind of um, you know change of pace, obviously, from the breakneck speed of the first couple episodes of the season. I thought it was I thought it was really nice, and uh, you know I'm always I'm always happy to see you know good acting 
in, in a TV show and good dialogue, and, and this was just chock full of it. So. <laughs> Absolutely, it was. I enjoyed it a lot. So, soon after the last scene we just talked about, uh, Morgan and Eastman spend the night talking more about their past over dinner, uh, with Morgan recounting how he lost his wife and son to walkers. And Eastman tells Morgan that before the apocalypse, he'd interviewed this one prisoner who had shown signs of being a, a psychopath and recommended his parole be denied. The guy was so good that everybody else really liked the guy. He had a really magnetic personality. But uh, Eastman was able to see through that and see that he was, you know, he was just playing everyone. And uh, the prisoner later escaped prison and murdered Eastman's entire family, his wife, his son, and his daughter, as revenge. And Eastman reveals that he had built the cell that Morgan had been imprisoned in with the original intent to capture that prisoner and punish him for killing his family. I don't know if you guys mentioned it or not about John Carroll Lynch, like, like what a good actor he is. We, we, oh, we spent we, like we spent a good, yes. Yeah, we had a good amount okay, of Okay, good, because <laughs> his resume is sick. I mean, he's insane. I was, so, I was surprised... And pleasantly so to see him in this episode, you know, because mm-hmm. he's definitely a face, you know, where you remember if you don't remember the name. Um, also, did you guys cover the uh, Teenage Mutant, Tur- uh, Mutant yes. uh, Ninja Turtles uh, conspiracy? Mm-hmm. Yes, As we did. We did, okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I think Sorry. it goes beyond conspiracy. It's pretty out there. It's on pretty, overt. pretty overt. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, they were eating oatmeal burgers for dinner, too. I noted that down for some reason. So I don't know how that, that would taste. A fate worse than killing someone. <laughs> Not good. So when Morgan eventually asks Eastman, well, did you kill it? Did you kill the psychopath who killed your family? Uh, Eastman says he has come to believe that all life is precious. Morgan asks him again, and he says, I have come to believe that all life is precious, to which Morgan says, you're really good at that. He says, what? And he says, redirecting, which I thought was a brilliant turn of phrase uh, in this episode, since a lot of it had been about redirecting with Aikido and using your opponent's uh, force against them, sort of like judo. That that all life is precious thing, like I what because I remember I rewatched the um the season finale where he first says that line to Daryl, and it's just such a it's such a badass line, just the way he says it. It's like I love like now we're at all these origins to like as much as this episode, I don't I don't necessarily I wasn't offhand thinking, man, I hope I get Morgan's Jedi training episode one day, but getting it, it's like this is great. This is just a great episode, and now I'm getting all these cool stories about how these things happened. And and it's one of the darkest stories or that we've heard on the walking dead and it doesn't even involve walkers at all like this was pre-apocalypse yeah in terms of the stuff being told to us for sure yeah yes <laughs> but if this was anybody but lenny james like would this story even be interesting like i, I mean the acting here just sold it. It, it, it you you wanted to watch for an hour and a half this guy's backstory it, it just i'm imagining it alternate universe where it's not. It's a lesser character, and we're seeing their backstory, which we've seen actually in The Walking Dead. We've seen some flashbacks with lesser characters, and, and the, the the stories drag on. Yeah, there's yeah the governor. Um, but <laughs> well, see, I was thinking about you when I said this. But yeah, because you always, I, I never forget, you lamented so hard about those two governor episodes we had last season. Uh, was it last season? I guess. Well, maybe two seasons, two seasons ago. Now. ago yeah. Right, and, and you you hated them so much. So is this what they should have done then? Take an hour and a half, two seasons ago, and just get the governor out of the way. In one episode, would that have suited you better, you think? Or just forget about the, the grizzly bearded governor and I just, just move on? I, I wasn't against the idea of it. I just think it was poorly executed. I think, yeah, the beard thing doesn't help. That's an easy thing to put my, you know, poke fun at. But I just, 
I, I think you know the execution of that episode between the writing, the performances, because that's when I didn't really like Tara at all before when she was first introduced. Like just a lot of those things just were not clicking for me. This, mm. regardless of like the fact that it's Lenny James and he's an excellent actor, I do think the writing is top notch here. And this is a show where I am constantly criticizing the writing of. So like that that's high praise for me when it comes to the show. So Morgan and Eastman eventually return to Morgan's old camp to scavenge supplies. I believe they were looking specifically for a tarp and was it a crowbar or a tire iron or something like that? He said crowbar and, and tarp, whatever okay. that meant. So they, they go there, they, they get the tarp, but they they encounter a walker, which Morgan quickly realizes as the son of the uh, father-son combo he had pre- previously killed. And uh, guilt-ridden, Morgan hesitates to kill the walker, forcing Eastman to intervene and save him, and Eastman, in the process of killing the walker, is also bitten. Which is, I'm sorry, this is an episode I really like, one of the dumbest things in the episode. Like, it was just... He, he's an expert with a distance-based weapon of the Okito bow staff, and he's just going to throw himself in front of the walker that way. It was so weird and dumb. I mean, like, you know what's going to happen. You know he's the Obi-Wan. You know he's the uh, the Gandalf or whatever. You know he's going to die. But come on, you, you have to have a better way than that, or at least shoot it some way differently to not make it so avoidable. I agree that, that the choreography of, of the that scene was, was definitely not all it could have been. You know, the way the way it kind of put together just didn't look right, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I'm maybe right there just, with you. Maybe just, you know, the camera angle or the, the you know, the way he, he approached, you know, defending uh, Morgan or whatever. I just, I, I get what you're saying. You know, it didn't, didn't quite sit right with me either. I always look at um, walkers as footballs in terms of when you drop one, they kind of bounce. You never really know where they're going to go. And so I'm trying to be forgiving as possible when it comes to like why this walker wound up this way and how the show could have framed it. It's like, all right, it just, he tried to predict where the walker was going and it didn't quite catch the bounce. That's really the best way I can look at it because yeah, it's a bit of a contra it's, it's a bit of a contravency to, kind of make it work for the sake of this episode and yes you kind of see it you know it has to happen because i mean it's a flashback and you know you know it's not morgan and eastman that are coming over to alexandria it's just morgan so it's not i i kind of doubted we we're going to end with eastman you know still living in the cabin and <laughs> morgan leaving but uh yeah it's, it's something i was willing to accept i guess the, the reason I think this happened is because there was only one singular walker, and they focused in on his face and his clothing because you wanted to call back to the beginning of the episode. That's the one that Morgan murdered. If it was a group of walkers, let's say six or ten of them started coming through the woods, then there's a melee. You can see him getting bit in the melee, saving Morgan, uh, you know, Eastman, that is, getting bit. But because it was just the one... And he was even a much larger man than that walker was, too. I mean, <laughs> and, and he was a warrior. That it, it, You're right, it, it seemed a little bit... A little bit far-fetched, but I, I, I took it. I, I accepted what happened and, and why it did. They moved pa- past it pretty quickly, but still, it was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Especially after, at that point, uh, you know, 65 minutes or so of really, really awesome writing and directing for that to happen was like, eh, you got to be kidding me. It bothered me less than why did Glenn fall down last week that I had to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, that's, that, that makes sense. So Morgan is super angry that uh, Eastman stepped in to save his life since he believed he was meant to be killed by that walker and he attacks Eastman again, uh, forcing Eastman to subdue him even in a weakened and bloody state. 
Um, and Eastman leaves Morgan behind at his camp and returns to the cabin. Now alone, Morgan regresses and kind of goes a little bit feral again, starts hunting for walkers, and he manages to track and kill a walker, and when it falls, I really like the way this was shot, actually. When it falls, it reveals it had been uh, stalking a pair of survivors, and he had inadvertently saved them, and they thank him by offering him food and a single bullet, which he accepts and lets them go. I should also mention that I, I've underplayed my reaction to Eastman getting bit because, at the, you know, as much as I'm you know willing to forgive the way it was angled or whatnot, in the moment watching this, I was yelling at the television. It's like, no, why did this happen? <laughs> but, um, so, so when it comes back and now we're watching like Feral Morgan again, that was like there was a brief moment where we're like, ah, do we have to now we have to deal with this now where he's back to and then like it immediately cuts to like, oh, he saved some people and he found his humanity once again. So I wasn't too. That, that was the part where I thought I was going to be like, oh, the episode's taking a turn. Now we got to deal with Morgan being animal-like again. But no, it didn't stray too far. So. And I love the design of that walker, too, with, like, the exposed spine. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, like, all the back skin was just shredded. It was pretty cool looking. So after Morgan accepts the offering of food and the bullet, uh, he lets them go. He returns to Eastman's cabin where he finds a walker feasting on Tabitha. And after killing the walker, Morgan takes both Tabitha and the walker's corpse to be buried in the graveyard near the cabin. There he finds Eastman, who is still alive. Actually, was very surprised by this. I had assumed this was like a week later or something and he was already dead. Uh, But Eastman is still there and uh, he is slowly succumbing to the walker infection. And uh, when Morgan is burying uh, Tabitha and the walker, uh, Morgan spots a grave marker with the same name as the prisoner who killed Eastman's family. And Eastman admits he kidnapped the prisoner, locked him in the cell, and watched him starve to death for 47 days. Just to back up for a second, the reason they ended up at the graveyard is because Eastman took the walker that, well, that killed Eastman, or bit him, I should say, in the back, put him on the trolley, and took him over to the graveyard. I mean, he, he was still that calm and that at peace with the world and, and that Aikido mentality that he took the one that actually murdered him and gave him a proper burial. And then when, when Morgan resurfaced from his craze with, with the two hikers, met him at the graveyard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I agree with Eastman's philosophy, but I, I appreciate and respect that he is in it for the long haul. I can agree with it to the point Eastman was using it. The way, the way Morgan's using it in relation to where he currently is in Alexandria, it's a bit bit more complicated, I would say. I mean, I I think the defining factor, the dividing factor between the two is Eastman had accepted the responsibility of his choice and had accepted that if this goes wrong, I will die. Mm -hmm. And, but I will do my best to not kill anyone and it will be on me if that fails. But it would be only on him if that failed. If at any point his, his code of conduct for life had failed him, it would only have failed him. When Morgan tries to adopt it, it's now going to fail an entire community. And there's extenuating circumstances as to why it makes less sense to apply it to the entire position he's in wherever he goes, I guess, compared to isolation in the woods. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That said, all, all this in mind, R.I.P. Tabitha. I mean, that was, <laughs> yes. I, I, like, yeah. it seemed kind she of a real MVP. It seemed inevitable that this goat had to get it at some point, because, like, we're not going to have a goat walking around and not get killed by a walker. <laughs> but still, it's like, oh, the goat got it. That's, that's, we that's, can't that's, have nice things. That's bleak. <laughs> that's bleak in a show that's always bleak. <laughs> now, here's my other little complaint about the episode in that, and what you had the name of the uh, the prisoner there, Aaron, but it's uh, Crichton Dallas Welton. something. Well, yeah, Crichton Dallas Wilton is what I have in my notes. It was so odd to me that they treated it like a reveal in that final scene that, oh, he actually killed him 
when they told you he actually killed him half an hour earlier. Well, no, because he misdirected him at the dinner table. Yeah. He but said, they pointed out that they misdirected it, which more or less tells you, uh, you know, 90% of the way there that he did it. Kind and that of, Morgan but, understands that he did it. Yeah, but you can almost see that maybe his code, the keto code, his his the, the, the peace code won out and he didn't actually kill the guy. I mean, you could you can almost see it going that way, even though Morgan didn't get his answer and say, hey, you're misdirecting me or redirecting me. You can almost see that maybe this guy didn't kill him. But then at the end, you see the reveal that he did. But th- that's the thing. I couldn't see any circumstance where, given what Eastman had said and what Morgan replied back to him, that it went any way other than exactly what we later went on to see 100%. Two, two things. I mean, one, I, I think you are adding a bit of like your own, like you... You're, you've watched enough television or seen enough story or have enough insight in how plot plays out where you can kind of jump ahead and figure where things are going. Also, this is The Walking Dead, the least subtle show on television. So I well, mean, That's, that's like, the thing. Which, which is something you're happy to accept very, various times. I was past. super proud of Gimple and the show in that first scene for going, oh, wow, they went the subtle route and didn't just spell it out in red paint for the audience. Good for them. And then later when it came back, I was like, Really, you did such a good job that first time, and you had to now, now you have to spell it out in red paint for yeah, us. But okay. It, but it also leads to another great monologue from John Carroll Lynch, so I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that is true. That, fair enough. I, I'll give you that. Oh, everybody okay? That was me mi- dropping the mic, apparently. I don't, oh. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but we'll just go with that. <laughs> Perfect timing. You just spoke to Jordan, drop the mic, move on. That's it. Done. <laughs> that monologue that you mentioned is Eastman talking about how after he starved him to death for 47 days, he realized that the prisoner's death did not give Eastman any peace, and he vowed to never kill again. So he decided he was going to hike into town and turn himself in. But he gets there to find out there's no one to turn himself into because the zombie apocalypse had happened. So he walked back home to his actual house, not the cabin, to uh, get a memento, which was a, uh, a uh, drawing his daughter had done on the wall, on the drywall in like crayon. And he hiked through 30 miles of zombies uh, there and back to bring that back to the cabin. And that's where he eventually met Morgan. So Eastman, who is dying at this point, offers the cabin and his belongings to Morgan, but advises him against being alone. And after burying Eastman, Morgan abandons the cabin and discovers a sign that leads him to Terminus and sets him on the path that will eventually catch back up with him on in Season 5. There's a good, like, uh, kind of a, a play on lines that happens, and there's one that happens early on where uh, basically uh, Eastman's trying to... He's talking to Morgan about, you know, try, trying to... He, when Morgan's still in his kind of more feral state, he talks to him about... He's trying to get him to, you know, get back his humanity and at one point he says progress so then later yes on, yes yes it's later when you know um he finds out the um he says he found out the world has ended and then morgan corrects him he says the world has not ended and then more and beastman comes back and with progress it's just a, it's <laughs> it a, was a very nice moment it's a fun and he was already bit at that point too he was already dying so yeah. it was still he's still looking out for morgan even though he's his death is imminent he's still thinking about him mm-hmm. so in the present we come back to the other end of our bookend Morgan finishes his story and uh, the camera turns around and we see that he is indeed talking to the alpha wolf and he hoped it would help to convince the wolf to change his ways and the wolf reveals that he is injured and will probably die soon from those wounds but suggests that if he survives he will kill Morgan and everyone in Alexandria even the children just like Crichton had killed Eastman's children as part of his code even though Morgan has a code so does the wolf and seeing that the wolf remains unrepentant Morgan locks the door as he leaves and in the street uh, Morgan uh, leaves him behind and then hears Rick screaming to open the gates 
So spoilers, Rick makes it out of that predicament he was in last week's episode, I guess. Oh, the lead character of the show survives again? Son of a bitch. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> Who'd have thought? So when Morgan left, <clears throat> the first time I watched the episode, okay, he just left, locked the door. The second time I watched it, I'm like, hmm, is he going to let this guy starve like Crichton Wilson and just let him sit in that house and you let him go that way? I mean, if he's, if he's adopted Eastman's code... And this guy truly is unrepentful. Is that the way he's going to end up? I mean, who knows? But I but Eastman didn't that. adopt that code until after he had starved the guy to death, vowing to never do that type of thing again. True. I mean, I think at this point, Morgan, hopefully Morgan is seeing that when the rubber meets the road, his code might not be as tenable as he at one time believed. And but they addressed that we'll on the Talking Dead, too. I mean, they, they talked about that and they said, well, Rick, Rick has his way and Morgan has his way, but they both end up in death. So it's like... Because I think, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Hardwick asked him, he said, because he was on the show, does Morgan feel guilty about these, you know, the consequences of his inactions, letting these people live? He goes, yeah, he probably does, but people still die on Rick's way, too. I said, okay, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, oh, and I gotta say, this episode, even though, again, I don't really agree with his code, I appreciate now from this episode why he believes in it. And I can fully accept that now. I still think a lot of the decisions he's making are dumb, but from a character uh, justification perspective, I totally get why he's making them. And I think the, the show did a, an excellent job uh, in these 90 minutes of showing us why that is. This, this, it's all going to lead to someone being bit in the ass pretty hard, and that's going to be oh, very, absolutely. Very, very unfortunate for this series, for, for Alexandria, who's already, which is a, a town that's already dealing with an assortment of issues. Now there's, you know, there's there's a person who we you know should otherwise trust because of his abilities who's secretly holding hostage somebody that's potentially going to ruin everything that they stand for. So it's 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 very hard to be like frustrated at Morgan, but it's like guy like like there's limits to this and you need to realize them. So before we get into talking about our busters for the episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Of course, our sponsor is Discount Comic Book Service and their sister site, InStock Trades, which you can find at dcbservice.com and instocktrades.com. Comics are expensive. Comic book-related merchandise is expensive. You're going to spend a lot of money on them at your local brick-and-mortar store or even on Comixology, on iTunes, or, or through Amazon. Any type of place like that, you're going to be spending, let's face it, way too much money on comics. You're still going to get those comics and comic-related merchandise, and that's awesome, but wouldn't you rather get those things and save a ton of money? Well, you can do that at dcbservice.com and instocktrades.com. Go there, you set up your box, tell them what you want for the month, what's coming out. They'll have a whole list of all the, the comics, the trade paperbacks, the t-shirts, the hoodies, the hats, the, the Funko Pop vinyls, all that cool stuff that you want. They'll have the whole list of everything that comes out that month, the next month, and the month after that. You tell them what you want, they will send it to you at huge discounts. We're talking 20, 30, 40, 50%, sometimes even more than that off. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your wallet to save a ton of money and get those cool nerd things you want at DCBService.com and InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for supporting the show. Yeah, there's a deleted scene where Eastman goes to his back room that has just shelves full of comics that he did purchase through DCBB service. <laughs> that was the other part of his code. Yeah. Don't kill anyone and always buy things through DCB service. My latest Walking uh, Dead related addiction is the, uh, the McFarlane blind bags. They have like they have three three figures in a pack, and uh, the series three or two figures in a pack, and the series uh, three just came out. Everyone comes with a, a cast member and a zombie, so you get like a you know a good amount of walkers pretty quickly, and they're the same scale as the um, uh, McFarlane construction sets, so it fits right in with my uh, my tiny little Norman Reedus on his, on his chopper over here. 
so and I know they're available at TCB service uh, pretty discounted as well by the by the pack or by the uh, by the case. The quality of those toys is amazing. I, I saw McFarlane toys at a, the Comic Expo I was at recently, and just man, they make some great toys, really good stuff. Yeah, the likenesses are really spot on. They look great. So, let's talk about our busters. Of course, five busters is the best. One buster is the worst. Or should we go with Tabitha's this week, gentlemen? Are you just trying to get my goat? <laughs> ba -da 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 -da. Or are you just hey. trying to cheese me off? <laughs> Any more? He does no. make good cheese at one point. We didn't really mention that. but if you, if you, uh, That's because I didn't really care to a certain extent. <laughs> I mean, like I liked it as a character thing, but at the same time... Can we, like, can we care about the fact that I was right in saying that he did say cheesemaker as in the person that was the bow staff teacher who was the cheesemaker? Who disagreed? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was a hot thread on, on, the, on the Facebook page. I had, a, I had to take screenshots and everything to back that one up. <laughs> <laughs> but this is utterly pointless. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, so on a scale of one to five, Busters or Tabithas, whatever you want, uh, how many did you give this episode? You know, honestly, last night I was thinking about this because I, I, I was trying to think about Buster scores um, this week as opposed to some weeks where I'm just like, what, whatever, it, it's fine. Um which was more Fear of the Walking Dead than Walking Dead. Um, I was at four and a half, but, you know, thinking about this episode and after writing the whole review and talking about it, you know, now and everything and just having dwelled on it the whole day, I'm out of five busters again. I think this is a terrific episode of television. I think it... I understand there, there's people that think that it's... that the 90 minutes may not have been worth it for a small story, but I think there's such a great care taken in letting, you know, this show breathe and giving us a break between all the, you know, the the very bleak mayhem that goes on week to week that you get, you know, the, the series basically one of its best actor uh, joined with another terrific actor in this kind of two man show set in the world of the walking dead with a terrific script, a great story being told all the things that come with the, you know, general filmmaking of walking dead. I think it's just a terrific episode of television. So I'm at a full five busters again on this one. I'm going to give it a 4.75 Tabitha's. Uh, I'll do that for this week. It was an amazing one and a half hours of television and to have just two actors go mano y mano with a great script, the, 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 as I said before, the, the sound score, the, the soundtrack was amazing as well, very well done. Everything fit together. I mean, for me, and I'm more of the action junkie of the, of the group here, if it had a little bit more, you know, which it, didn't, it wasn't lacking in it, but if it had a little bit more of that, I'd probably push it up to a five. I will take this level, this caliber of storytelling forever on The Walking Dead. So 4.75 is high for me. Not many episodes get five in my book. It's great, great storytelling, great episode, and uh, keep it going, Walking Dead. You're doing a great job. I thought you were going to say that there was no Rick again, so you're going to go lower slightly. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I thought that was Rich who said that. No, I, I I gave the other one, I think it was a 4.9, with the one with Alexandria got Oh, attacked. that was you? Okay. okay yeah, and then I said it would have had a 5 at Rick in it, but I didn't want to play that twice, so yeah, thanks. Aaron. He, he, did, he did yell at the end, so I guess there is some Rick in there. <laughs> there is some, oh, you know, you're gate. right. Open True. the gate! Coral! Coral! <laughs> Get the gate, Coral! Get the gate! I give this a 4.75. I, uh... I mean, two, two things really struck me about this episode. First of all, I mean, the reason this show gets more and more popular and endures, you know, obviously zombie action, but also it's the characters, it's the acting, it's the writing. When it's good, it's really good. And this episode was really good, even though it was basically just two guys talking for most of the episode. I mean, you know, so was My Dinner with Andre, and that's a great movie. Um, 
you know this it just it really um it shows why the walking dead is on on a uh, on the level that it is um especially this season and after the just the the relentless action of the past couple episodes this was a nice palate cleanser to kind of just take a step a breath and a step back and i thought that was a really smart move on the on the on gimple's part and on you know the production's part to kind of you know pull it back a little bit and then you know before in the middle of all that relentless action just to kind of you know to have this nice character moment to have this good acting and just this this good dialogue you know this good depth of character especially so uh, i give it a 475 and i'm taking off 0.25 because of the way eastman went out and because (laughs) of the way tabitha went out so we could have had you know tabitha battle goat uh defender of alexandria but no although tabitha had a very more noble death than another major character may have had last week (laughs) yeah (laughs) You mean the the guy at the beginning of the episode that just got randomly killed after bitching at Rick? I know. Yes, that, yeah, that, that, that guy. The red shirt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, he keeps getting us into trouble. Ah! Well, so much for dissenting opinions. <laughs> so as for me, I, I actually also thought about this one a little bit earlier. In fact, I was thinking about this during the episode, I guess, during a commercial break, about three quarters of the way through, and I went, man, this episode is fantastic. I might semi-jokingly give this one a six out of five. And then we got the Eastman stuff, uh, the Eastman death, I should say, which was dumb. And we had the needless reveal, I thought, because, again, I, I, li- I like subtlety. And when I thought they did a really excellent job with subtlety, only to squander it later, even if it did lead to a good monologue, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to bring it back down to a five. So I'm still giving this episode a five. I thought it was fantastic. Lenny James, as always, does a fantastic job. And Lynch is just one of my favorite character actors. And he... He stepped up to the plate, took a big swing, and knocked it out of the park with this episode. Hey, did you get that? I made a sports reference. But anyway. I was going to say, a... that's like the second sports metaphor since I've been on, and I got on late <laughs> in the show. Am I on the right podcast? This was a absolutely fantastic episode. Look, I get it. People want to know, is, De- is Glenn really dead or not? But quite frankly... This is the kind of thing I want from Walking Dead. I don't care if there's a ton of action or a little bit of action. I want really solid writing and really solid acting telling us something about this world. And that's what this episode gave me. So I'm giving this one a 5 out of 5. One uh, one side note I did want to make before we get to uh, what the listeners thought of this week's episode was something I meant to bring up during the episode discussion and didn't until now. I really liked in this episode, and I said this earlier, that... I now have a a greater appreciation for why Morgan is behaving the way he's behaving, why he's making the decisions he's he's making. Whereas before I went, that's a really dumb decision, and you're dumb for making it. Now I go, that's a really dumb decision, but I fully understand why it makes sense to you and why you're making it. But something I really liked, and I I like this more and more as I think about it in retrospect, is that this episode in particular shows us for all those moments in the first three episodes where we saw Morgan, and I guess he was only in in two of them, really, but for all of those moments we saw him in, now with this episode as context, it becomes clear to me how close he is to snapping. Uh, Think back to all those moments between him and Carol uh, two weeks ago. That is not just him disagreeing with the way she's handling the situation. It is Feral Morgan itching to come out again. It is Feral Morgan trying to reclaim control of Zen Morgan. And I I don't know where that means we're going to go necessarily with his character as the season progresses. But I love now that 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 has revealed this new onion layer to his character of just how close 
he is to going off the deep end again. And I, I love that. I don't, I don't know. Did you guys have any thoughts about that or did, did that stick out to you at all in the episode? You mentioned that and it's, um, it's interesting because I, well, obviously I, you know, I don't know anything about Eastman stuff before, you know, before this episode aired because why would I, but there's, you know, a part of me where, cause I've previously said, I don't need to see an episode devoted to why Morgan needs, you know, how he learned to be the way he is. Like I, I've said that on this show. I've obviously, I love this episode and I'm glad I got that story, but I feel like regardless of getting that story, I could have essentially, I've essentially pieced together in my mind some version of this story already. Obviously not. Sure, it, sure. Yeah, because I think that, you know, you you get a, obviously he probably went off the deep end and he, then he recollected himself somehow and now he's the way he is. Like, I think you can kind of figure out that basic framework. But, you know, what I, I think what comes to me liking this episode so much and beyond it just being, well, done or why I don't mind that I'm getting a story that I essentially could have figured out myself is that it's just a, it's a great stopgap for this season. I understand it's four episodes in and maybe you don't need a stopgap for what's going on, but I, I just love the, I, I do love that it's placed here and that it's another side of the series. It's giving us something to an extent that's different compared to a lot of other episodes that we've gotten in the show. Um, sort of given the, the limited cast, especially. And yeah, having that, you know, extra insight about who Morgan is, the kind of evolute, the arc of his character, which has taken place over the course of what amounts to, I, he's appeared in like eight times at this point, but it amounts to basically like three episodes if you really want to add it all together. It's fan, it's right. it's fascinating. It really is. And like, and Jordan, you made a great point about you know kind of the the exact state of mind that he is. It's not just that he's comic collected. He has to kind of go on to this something of a struggle if there's you know ever a a slight movement of his status quo from where he has where when he's in you know complete Zen mode. Right, right. I mean, he is balanced. But he is precariously balanced yes. at this point, which I love. Like, because this, as before, I was like, I, th- I thought I knew where he was going. Now I don't know. Now it could go many more places, which I find very, very cool. But who cares what us idiots think? Jim, what did our listeners on the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group think about this week's episode? Well, everyone, as Jordan alluded, as uh, mentioned, we have a Facebook group. It's called the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group, oddly enough, since this is the Walking the TV podcast. We have 16 new members this week. We're almost up to 700, guys. Pretty sweet. Uh, keep telling everybody about the group and uh, keep joining. And, uh, you know, like they used to say in Chicago, vote twice. Uh, the opinions are kind of all over the map this week on this episode. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, but we have a lot of good discussion on the group and we have a lot of fun stuff there. I and mean, you also get the links to uh, Aaron's reviews of each episode of The Walking Dead uh, straight from the Facebook uh, group. So definitely join the group, check it out, and uh, you know get in the discussion. Uh, as I said, the opinions for this episode are kind of all over the place. Jeff Rhodes is a, gives it a .001 um. Can't think of anything memorable in this episode to make a joke about. Wow. Oof. Tell us how you really feel, Jeff. Uh, this was a waste of 90 minutes. Uh, Susan Monk, three Zen cheesemakers out of five. This would have been so much better in 60 minutes. Uh, I really loved hearing about Eastman's history. Uh, some of the crazy Morgan stuff can be cut. See, I was thinking about that for one second. What what would have been cut? I mean, I was trying to think about. It. I read her review, and I'm like, what what scenes could have been cut out of that? I mean, I, I think it breathed really well in that hour and a half. That's just, you know, what I was thinking. But I don't know. Plush Bandari, uh, four Tabithas out of five. Like the episode, but hate how easily Eastman was taken down. Uh, Everard Santa Marina, uh, I liked it. I liked it enough to give it a four point five busters, maybe more. I really dislike taking this departure at this point in the season. But as a self-contained and bottle-like episode, this was decent. Um, Cheryl Morris Goodman, 3.4 Goo Goo Clusters out of 5. I might have rated it a bit higher, except for the, its placement in the season. 
Yeah, I see a lot. I guess I, I see what you're saying, Jordan. A lot of people did not appreciate that it was kind of a, a you know, a break from the main storyline. Which, to an extent, I understand, but also particularly taking into, into account the um, the framing device of the episode with Morgan talking to the captured wolf, it pretty much had to happen after either last week's episode or the episode before that. And either one had really big cliffhangers to leave off on. Right. So no matter what, they were kind of damned if they did, damned if they didn't. I, I personally didn't mind it at all. I thought it was a nice break from like the breakneck pace. Um, Michelle Marco also agreed on 90 Minutes of Morgan. Really? They could have done all that in 30 and gone on to other storylines? Wow. Uh, Mike Jones, three solar-powered zombie forts out of five. Interesting backstory for Morgan, but 90 minutes, question mark. Yeah, it seems to be a prevailing idea mm. here. Wow. Um, Alisa Gonzalez, four Morgan holding Judas. That line of Eastman saying, you will hold a baby again. Just hit my heartstrings. A beautiful cinematography and some of the most brilliant acting by Lenny James and John Carroll Lynch. Totally agree, Alisa. Uh, Jeremy Iron, uh, Jeremy Ryan Lewis. Uh, I, I thought Jeremy myself. Irons was a fan of the, the podcast for a second. Jeremy Irons is here. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Ryan, Lewis, that would be great. Uh, bring it on, make a man cruel. Uh, Jeremy Ryan Lewis. I'd say a solid four choose, making attempts out of five. It felt nice to watch characters slowly regain some semblance of hope. Uh, a little bit of hope is fine by me. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. Uh, Darren Apple, uh, 4.5 professional diagnoses out of 5. Uh, seeing the path of the feral from clear to a keto practitioner was fantastic. Um, Pamela Burton, 4 out of 5. I really liked this episode. I was genuinely sad when both Eastman and Tabitha died. Um, Hezron Mack, 2.5 Eastman stories. Sounds like an Oscar-nominated screenplay out of 5. Wow. Uh, 90 minutes wasn't necessary from the previews for next week. They could have combined a few flashbacks between this and the next episode. Uh, Tanya Royston, four remote cabins in the woods out of five. Um, Belinda Ake, two out of five. Fifteen-minute reveal stretched out to fill 90 minutes. Wow. Uh, Dave White, four out of three out of five. Morgan in the zone special effects shots. Uh, Adam Fatah, I will give it three out of five Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Obviously, this show should... This episode should happen either in season four or season five to give Morgan backstory. It felt like a complete filler episode. Now, when we say three out of or three out of five Ninja Turtles, are we talking about the the pink girl Ninja Turtle from like the straight to VHS movie in like '96? <laughs> Am I clear? On, I don't know that much about the Ninja Turtles, but I do remember that being a thing from my childhood. Uh, Master Splinter and the four of them, right? That's it. <laughs> no, there was a girl. There was a girl one in the live action straight to VHS, like the fourth one or something. I have no oh, idea what you're talking about. I'm, I'm I, I barely do either. Paul McEachern, uh, three busters, although the performance of John Carroll Lynch as Eastman was masterful, I just couldn't get into Morgan's journey. Uh, Rob Kirk, four out of five cheesemakers, great episode and reveal about the wolf, good change of pace from the mayhem, I agree. Oh, uh, wow, Chop- Ninja Turtles, the next mutation, there it is, Venus de Milo, Ugh. fifth turtle. That was her name? Yes. Because she's Venus on the half shell. Oh, <laughs> all of the others get named after oh, artists, and terrible. she gets named after a work of art instead. That seems weird. It's, for, it's, it's, it's the Venus on the half shell joke, though, that they're going for. <laughs> I guess. I, mean, I saw it anyway. Uh, Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington. I'd uh, give it three. So Morgan didn't kill the wolf out of five. Wolf out of five. Uh, interesting backstory for Morgan. We are now clear, pardon the pun, on how Morgan got to where he is today. Uh, can he really change the wolf? I don't think so, dude. Uh, David B. the third, 2.5 bow steps out of 5. I believe we could have seen a 43-minute backstory or one spread across multiple episodes 
uh, with all the Morgan action. And finally, Judith Matthews. Uh, I just love everyone's rating systems. This is a great group. Thank you, Judith. Poor Tabitha in itself. A 5 out of 5. George Costanza shouting, Serenity now. <laughs> I understand everyone's frustration that this episode seems oddly placed, but the acting was incredible, and the reveal that Eastern went, the mon- went monster too proved fascinating. Um, that's all we have for uh, for uh, comments on this episode. If you would like to join our group, we'd be happy to have you on the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. And then you can leave your comments and have them immortalized in podcast history here on our show. Uh, read in my dulcet tones. So uh, definitely join the group. So before we close things out, uh, we got two things, actually, the, uh, in this week's episode of The Walking Dead, besides just, you know, zombie-killing, zen-like action. We got uh, a new Into the Badlands trailer which and scene, which I thought were very cool. I'm, I'm getting incre- increasingly more interested in that show, but I know much more interesting were not necessarily much more interesting, but definitely interesting to many of our listeners in terms of comic books being turned into uh, major television shows. We had the first Preacher trailer, uh, Preacher based on the Vertigo comic uh, from many years back. Now, Jim, I know you're a huge fan of Preacher, whereas I myself has only read like the first three volumes, I think. So what did you think of the uh, world premiere of the trailer? Well, it's interesting. It's uh, Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer. And, uh, um, you know, we've seen him in, in Agent Carter and a bunch of other things, of course. And uh, Ruth Nega from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who was the girl in the flower dress, whose name I cannot remember. Uh, um, Raina. Right, Raina, uh, as Tulip O'Hare. And the interest, the weird thing about the trailer was there's a lot of things in the trailer that I that weren't in the comic at all. Like, the, the trailer seemed to have a uh, um, great departure from the comic as far as, you know, I... I, I recall now. I went back and kind of looked at the first trade or whatever, and I, I was right. You know, yeah, it's, it's of... not like the first trade at all. That's for sure. It seemed like it was. No. It seemed like it was kind of modifying things for kind of a, a weekly series type format, which makes sense. But yeah, I, I right. certainly wasn't getting the exact representation of the comic off. Right, and the only scene that I re- that I saw in the trailer that I re- it was actually replicated from the comic that I remembered where uh, the scene with him and uh, Cassidy, um, the Irish vampire, in uh, jail together there at the end of the trailer. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> it's in the trailer. <laughs> Not that he's a vampire. He, he speaks in, uh, what, that he's Irish? That he's a vampire. No, that, that, he's a vampire. A, that, is a vampire. <laughs> that is a vampire, Jim. Well, he's the kind Irish of open about being obvious. vampirism. I mean, it's not, uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I know what you're saying. Though, sure. I really see that as a spoiler. I'm sorry. It's kind of, you know, you meet him and he is immediately, like, evidently a vampire in the story. So I sorry. couldn't remember how they, they first introduced that. Yeah, I, I'm not, like, a huge preacher fan uh you know like i said i read the first three volumes they were fine but not enough for me to continue reading it that said i thought the trailer looked pretty cool yeah i mean it looked awesome i like dominic cooper in this role you know i liked i like the casting it's uh seth rogan's uh production company seth rogan and evan goldberg are, yeah and evan the, goldberg yeah. yeah so um i don't know I'm, I'm looking forward to it it was definitely intriguing it wasn't what i expected though it's on amc right i mean did they get yes. a six episode buy is that what they have so far or what are they uh what are they scheduled for? Do we know? I actually don't know how many episodes. Most of their shows, they bring straight for 10 or 13 episodes. Fear and, and The Walking Dead proper were kind of uh, outliers in that they only got six for their first seasons. Um, everything else, I think, has gotten 13 or maybe 10 for a couple of them. It's a 10-episode so we'll it, 
10? Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's fairly standard for cable, 10 to 13. Yeah. So. so it's a somewhat shorter first season, and if it gets picked up, it'll be probably 16 episodes or something down the yeah. line. And yeah, I'm sure if it takes off like Walking Dead style, <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll milk as many episodes out of it as they can. Yeah. It looked good. And they are, Seth Rogen and Evan, they are directing it. Uh, they, that is, they direct the pilot, at least. So. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, supposedly, Rogen is a fan of the, the original graphic. Oh, yeah, novel, they're, huge, so. they're huge fans of the comic. That's why they, they're yeah. very happy to have gotten me. They've been trying to bring it to television for a few years before it got picked up at uh, AMC, if I recall correctly. And it's definitely the kind of thing that belongs on AMC or an FX. I don't think it would fly on network television at all. Yeah, I mean, it would probably do even better on, like, an HBO or something. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at least AMC is, is, is a good start. You know, if, if you will, you get that Con- built-in crossover wise. audience with The Walking Dead. It'll just kind of, you know, weave. Yeah, right and that, into that. that's probably exactly what they were thinking behind. Yeah, that's the exactly so. what they're thinking. That's, yeah. Of course. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I saw the trailer. I'm excited to see what they do with the property. It's a, it's an interesting story. Uh, it's interesting characters. It's one of those uh, takes. Uh, a lot of times, um, uh, writers from outside the United States have really good takes on you know the, on America from the you know, looking at it from the outside, and this is definitely one of those kind of stories. And it's funny, the more I see of this Kung Fu one, what is that called? Uh, Into the Badlands. Into the Badlands. The more I see of that, the less good it looks for some reason. I don't know why. They, they're showing oh, really? a lot of it now. And well, I'm, I'm all in. I'm in. I'm going to watch it. But it's like the more I'm seeing, it's like, oh, okay, all right. I'm in. But the preacher looks better to me. So that's pretty much it for this week's episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Of course, we'll talk about next week's episode after the break here, so you don't have to be spoiled. But until then, uh, you can leave us an email at wdtv at hhwlod.com or follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. Aaron is at Aaron's PS4. Jim is at Yoda Jones. And Craig is at Auto Chat Show. Yes, yes, yes. And so until there's no more room left in hell in the dead, walk the earth. Remember, keep your friends close and your enemies in a cage in your living room. You creepy weirdo. Have a good week, everybody. (laughs) And next week on The Walking Dead, of course, if you don't want to know anything, cut out now. We won't be offended. But for those of you who don't mind knowing just a little bit about the episode, Season 6, Episode 5 is entitled Now. And the very brief, very vague description we have from AMC.com is Trouble is inside and outside the gate. No. No and we we know from Whoa. the previews and the scene from <laughs> from uh, talking dead that uh uh Maggie very quickly in the episode learns that Glenn went missing in the town and it seems to be her and Aaron trying to formulate a rescue mission to go find him. You see Maggie strapping up for a mission outside the walls. We, I mean, I almost predicted this. It's like, you know, hey, how many episodes are going to spend looking for Glenn now? Are they going to stretch this out for the half the season? I just hope it doesn't turn into that. I Hopefully really we get our answer. He's this in the week barn with Sophia. <laughs> Glenn! But hold on, they did this on the Terminus Trail too, didn't they? Didn't Wasn't Maggie looking for Glenn for the longest time? Yep, they separated on the train tracks. and they were looking for one another and they were finally reunited, yeah. Yeah, Gl- yeah it's like... Glenn's, uh, Glenn's the Carl of the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Glenn? What you, what you mean, the coral? <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> My mistake. All right, have a good week, everybody. And this is Walking Dead episode six oh five? Uh four, isn't 604. it? Six oh four. Yes. It feels like five because we get a couple hour and a half episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it could be six oh five if you add them up. Six oh four, one forty nine, and I got all my information there. Okay. I will just tell you this now. Play along for 30 seconds or so. You'll see what I mean. Okay. 
I also think back to the 50th anniversary episode of Doctor Who when three versions of the Doctor were, were locked in the Tower of London for like 20 minutes only to realize at the end that the door had never been locked in the first place as they were all trying to genius genius their way out of the uh, the tower. <laughs> so uh, it can happen, apparently, at least if you trust Doctor Who as canon, which I do, and I just dropped my phone. Bap, 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 ba bap. What'd you drop? My phone. Oh, your phone, okay. <laughs> Which is what I'm reading the notes off of. Gotcha. I'm not just using my phone in the episode like a jerk. <laughs> so if this is the Back to the Future 2 universe, which character has the bigger What? <laughs> oh, you mean the mother or the, or the goat? Is that what you're trying to say? I, gonna... <laughs> I, I just uh, got that. Thank you. I wasn't going for the goat, but that's funny. I was going to... That's all just so I could have a blooper later, but... Uh... <laughs> you got it. I gave it to you on a silver platter. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, Jim is ready. Craig, if you want to sure. add him in. Gladly. Good timing, too, because we're about to go into the awesome monologue. The, the really, really awesome monologue. There's a bunch yeah. of them, but... The oh, shit one. Goo Goo Clusters. Hey, hey. Jim, how you doing? There he is. Going well. Are you ready for us to count you in? Alrighty. Okay. Alright, Jim. Three, two, one, record. I'm all hyped up on Halloween candy and ready to go. Alright. Do you have uh, Goo Goo just... Clusters in that candy? No. No. <laughs> okay. Just to count you in, Jim. One, two, two, three, four, four five, six, seven. All right. I really just need Jim to do it. There, I already have oh. you guys lined up. But thank you. Um, <laughs> I, the, the reason I'm count, I was having you come in so quickly, Jim, is because I've noticed in a bunch of other episodes where you join like this that we tend to talk for like five minutes with you not recording, and I lose a lot of great material from you. That it's like, oh, this would be really funny to put in there, but we weren't recording for him yet, so. Um, I'm trying to avoid that. You came in a good time, though, because we're about to get into the um, Michael Crichton, Dallas, Lelou Tal- uh, Howard multi-pass uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's sure. his, his name's in there somewhere. <laughs> Michael Crichton, Lelou Dallas, multi-pass. Multi-pass. Michael Crichton, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park. That Michael, <laughs> Michael Crichton. Crichton. That's the only <laughs> other place I know the name Crichton is Michael Crichton, Crichton who's one of my favorite writers, but... Really? I, I actually really do like his work, yes. Mm. Airframe was an awesome book. Mm. I don't yeah. agree with most of his politics and stuff, but he's a good writer. Crichton Dallas Welton is the name, by the way. <laughs> oh, I have it, in, I have it in here. I just wasn't looking yeah. at it yet. Did it turn out that Wesley Snipes' as Negan was just a hoax? That was a fake. I think that was fake, that right? Was a fake, yeah, okay. fake. And I deleted it because <laughs> I didn't want more confusion. Although I gotta say, I was kind of like, yeah, that would work in, in a weird that. way. Yeah, I like, think it would work. I mean, he's got the crazy for sure. <laughs> that is true, yes. But I was like, yeah, that wouldn't bother me to see Wesley Snipes as Negan. Also, that'd be a huge name get for The Walking Dead. Mm. Uh, more so 10 or 15 years ago, but still. He's he's on a show. Like, he's not going to be on The Walking Dead. What, what show is what, he what on? What is he on? Yeah, He's the, on The, the Player. The Player. The new, um, yeah. yeah, the new, uh, was it Tom Rogers? Or the, uh, John Rogers, the guy who did uh, Leverage. Yeah. Oh, okay. His new show called it's, The Player. It's on. I he was still in jail. It's I didn't on, even know where he was. He's been out for a while, and it's on NBC. He was in Expendables Three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, he was. That's that's, that's yeah. That's like his thing now. He's his big thing because he's coming. He's he's got a television show, so he's on the you know trying to get get back up there again. Well, really, come back it, it, in the grand scheme of but, things, how different is being in jail and being on NBC? I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the his show's not doing that well ratings wise, so that's why I thought it might have been a real story. Oh, okay, gotcha. Do a Blade Walking Dead crossover. Him and Michonne can yeah. can swap sword stories. Oh, see, that's too that's too memeable right there. That's why they that's wouldn't want to <laughs> do it. <laughs>